what's up? Welcome to another episode of Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM, where we dissect topics and issues relating to life in veterinary school. I'm your host, Seth Williams, and I'm a veterinary student at the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine. Today on the podcast, the wide world of pet health insurance. So I know and I've got a feeling that you probably just rolled your eyes halfway out of your head, but hear me out. There are so many benefits to health insurance for our pets, and at least speaking for me, we don't get a whole lot of information about pet health insurance in veterinary school. So I'm very honored to welcome onto the podcast today the Chief Veterinary Officer for Nationwide, Dr. Carol McConnell. Dr. McConnell is not only a veterinarian, but also has her MBA. She has a wealth of knowledge on this topic, and I'm so excited to pick her brain about how pet health insurance works and how it can help us as veterinarians practice better medicine and better care for our patients. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. McConnell. How's it going? Great. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to participate. I am I am so honored to have you on and, and to to pick your brain about this this topic of pet health insurance. I know there's a ton to talk about, but we'll try to squeeze it in uh, to to the episode today. Um, before we get started, I want to just ask a little bit about your background. How did you get into to what you're doing now with Nationwide and 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 with becoming a veterinarian? Um, yeah, how'd you get to where you are? Well, um, thanks for asking. Actually, I um, am originally from California and um, grew up in Los Angeles, land of cement. Um, and I said to myself as a 17-year-old, I have to do something different and get out of the cement. Uh, so I looked at a map of the United States and I thought, how far away can I go? Knowing that I wanted to be a veterinarian someday, I ended up at Cornell University in upstate New York uh, where I did my undergrad and loved it up there. Um, obviously big climate difference, big culture difference. Mm-hmm. And then um, this was back in the in the um, late 80s. And back then, the veterinary schools would only accept you from your state of residence or states in which they had a contract. And so, and that's because the vet schools were predominantly funded by their states. Right. And so I went back to California and went to UC Davis and um, uh, became a, a small animal practitioner. And then I practiced for about three or four years, and the most startling thing happened. I ended up with allergies to dogs and cats. Go figure. Yeah, so that sort of set me back a little bit. Um, And so then I thought, well, I still want to very much contribute to the veterinary profession. And many of us, especially those who are in vet school now, can relate to this. You know, it's a a calling. You're drawn to the profession. Um, So even though I couldn't be around the animals anymore, I thought, well, how else can I contribute? So... I went back to school, I went and got an MBA, and I chose to do that at Purdue University in Indiana, and the reason why is the business school, not not the vet school, but the business school at Purdue has faculty who have been teaching veterinary practice management for well over 20 years, and so that means that they understand our profession as a business school, which is kind of rare. Right. So I went there for the MBA, and um, which was just terrific. And then I have been at Nationwide, um, which was formerly Veterinary Pet Insurance, but Nationwide was the company that that effectively funded Veterinary Pet Insurance, or VPI, all of its 30 years since it's been in, in business. Um, for, I see, I've been there going on 15 years now, which is amazing. Yeah, it's uh, great. Yeah, and I just love the work, and I love um, knowing that even though I can't be around animals anymore, 
that I'm working and supporting something that enables veterinarians, colleagues, like many of you who are listening to this podcast today, uh, practice you know better quality medicine and, and enable um, the health care of the pets that we love. That's terrific. That's great. So thank you for doing what you do. Well, I enjoy it, and then one of the one of the things that's also really uh, nice is is Nationwide understands the value of um, of education, and we have a program where we uh, go to the the various veterinary colleges across the country and and work through the the VBMA, the Veterinary Business Management Association, at each chapter, and and try to educate veterinary students on on how pet health insurance can make a difference to ability to their ability to practice quality medicine once they're out there. Good, well that is perfect segue into my first question for you, which let's take this from a very, very ground level approach. What exactly is pet health insurance and is it like the same as human health insurance or is it different? How does it work? Well, that's uh, it's an excellent question and a, and a really great place to start because the answer is it's a quite a bit of a bizarre hybrid in the marketplace. And, and, and here's why. If you go back into the agricultural roots of the United States, so back into the 1800s when our law books, you know, were first, our laws were first created, animals were actually considered property, uh, assets of the farm, if you will. So if mm-hmm. you had, you know, a hog barn uh, in Indiana and you go to insure your, you know, your herd your ho- of hogs, um, they're, they're considered property and heaven forbid you have a barn fire or what have you, you, you buy property infer- insurance. And so now fast forward to current day, this idea of insuring dogs or cats, it actually is a form of property insurance. So the mechanics of it are actually closer to that of you know, your car policy or auto policy or, or your homeowner's policy, um, but, but it actually is healthcare insurance. So it's closer to when it comes to the claims, and processing the claims or what have you, it is you know covering diseases of these animals, which are property. So it's a really, really interesting niche in that you know we have people who come to work for us from you know the auto insurance space and they see similarities, but it's vastly different. We have people who come to us from the health insurance, you know people who come from say Aetna or Blue Cross or what have you, and there are similarities, but it's different. So it's a very, very bizarre hybrid in the marketplace um, that is actually becoming increasingly important. And the reason why is, um, as we all know, healthcare costs are going up. And on the right. human side, 6% a year, I think is the, the last one, last time I heard that quoted was the inflation of healthcare costs in the United States. And needless to say, you know, we are closely affiliated with the healthcare system. And if you think even just our inputs alone, like buying lactated ringers, gauze, syringes, needles, you know, suture material, what have you, is is we are codependent, if you will, on the escalating costs of, of healthcare on the human side. Um, and 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 then think about it too from a practice management point of view. On the human side, they have the ability to send people to a a large centralized hospital, and under that one large roof, you have shared resources, like a shared radiology department, a shared surgical department, a shared anesthesia. Um, We don't necessarily have that as much. We operate under one roof, Main Street USA, small animal practice on the corner, 
um, all of those things, right? We have x-ray equipment, we, you know, or, or digital radiography. We may have ultrasound in there. We have our surgical suite. We do all our own anesthesia. And so we are operating basically micro versions of the human healthcare system all across America. And there's like right. tw- 25,000 of these brick and mortar veterinary hospitals. And if you think about it, it's a very expensive way to, to deliver healthcare. So our inputs are going up because we're affiliated with human health. And we have a model, a delivery model that is actually very expensive because of the lack of shared services. Gotcha. So how does one get into purchasing health insurance for their pet? Sure. Well, and that has that has changed significantly over the years. And and so anybody who's been around the veterinary profession for a while knows that pet health insurance um, has been around. In fact, I think we're on our thirty eighth year um, at at Nationwide. And as I said, Nationwide is the old VPI, and and it has grown in the time that I've been with the company. It has grown tremendously. Most of the time through the years, people learned about pet health insurance through two ways. Number one, through their veterinarian, through you know brochures, or they get a information in their puppy kitten kit when they get a new pet, um, or the you know veterinary technician mentions it in the exam room or what have you, um, or they hear about it. They, the second way was mostly they heard about it. They heard about it from a friend or a relative, someone at the you know a cocktail party, uh, someone at the dog park, right? And it sort of was more word of mouth. And what's really different about today is the largest segment of growth is actually people learning about pet health insurance through their employer. Huh. And, and the, the, the world is changing. And the world um, expects uh, different things from their employer now. It used to be, you know, you would go and you, you would, you know, do your work or what have you and come home and you expected a paycheck. Healthcare for the family has always been a big part of that, and I can go into a whole history of that if you're sort of fascinated how healthcare emerged as sort of the employer's responsibility. It's an interesting story, um, but but for the most part, we haven't expected a lot of other ancillary things from our employer until the last you know handful of years, the last decade, if you will, and now employers, in order to attract and retain the best and the brightest, especially right now with such a, a low unemployment rate, is we're seeing more and more large companies come to us and say, we want to offer pet health insurance as an employee benefit to our employees. Now, it's it's considered a voluntary benefit because not everybody has a dog or a cat, you know, and sure. some people want to sign up for it, some people don't. Um, and so it basically goes on that cafeteria selection of things from which an employee can choose. And and every year um, within corporate America, there's this sort of cycle called open enrollment. It's typically in the fall. And employees are choosing their benefits for the following calendar year, beginning January 1. And so they'll see a whole, a whole selection of stuff. They'll see, yes, I wanna grab human healthcare coverage for my family. Yes, I wanna grab dental insurance. Oh, here's an additional, what's called a rider, uh, or endorsement to a dental policy for orthodontia work. Well, I've got some pre-teenagers who've got crooked teeth. I'll grab that. Oh, here's a pet health insurance. I have a dog in the home. I'll grab that. And ever since we have now uh, nationwide has built relationships with a lot of corporations, we're seeing the pet health insurance just explode. And um, 
And that's a great thing for a veterinarian, if you think about it. That means that people are getting their, their pet health insurance through their employer. Um, now, typically the employer isn't paying for the health insurance. They're, mm -hmm. they're allowing the, the cost of it to stream through on that pay stub. Uh, right. So every other Friday, right, it gets paid, the premium gets paid. Um, but, uh, but it is still something that they, they have in the household, which is terrific because now someone um, sees, you know, they get home after work and the dog's sick or vomiting or what have you. It eliminates that barrier to entry, the likelihood of them picking up the dog, picking up the phone as they're driving to you saying, hey, I'm coming in, my dog's been vomiting all day while I was at work. Um, we know that, uh, that it does change people's behaviors. Their likelihood of coming into your practice is significantly greater. And in fact, to quote a few numbers, um, there is an organization called the North American Pet Health Insurance Association, mm -hmm. and they represent all the pet health insurance uh, companies throughout the United States and Canada. And um, they recently did some research that showed that uh, there is a 29% increase in um, the amount of, of spend, meaning the, you know, the amount someone says yes to your treatment recommendations in that, in that exam room, the dollars that they spend, uh, if it's a dog. And for the cat, it's an 81% increase in wow. the amount they're willing to spend on their cat when they do have pet health insurance. So it really, really changes the dynamics of that conversation over the stainless steel table when you're talking about treatment plan for pets. Yeah, I had no idea that it was such a significantly higher number of, of I guess you could call it compliance and, and wanting to, to do treatments that, that you recommend. That's that's huge. Absolutely. And as I said, the, it lowers the barrier to entry, too. You know, the, the likelihood of people actually coming in the door right. um, is, is, uh, is higher because they're less fearful of that, um, you know, physical exam fee, quite frankly, right? Because that's what people worry about. Oh, it could be nothing. Maybe the dog just got in the garbage and she'll be fine by morning because they're avoiding the exam fee, right? right. But they don't really know. And if they know that 90% of that, um, whatever the veterinarian does to, to examine the animal, diagnose the animal, or what have you, is, is covered by the pet health insurance policy, then they're out of pocket significantly less and they're scooping up the dog and heading towards your practice. Right. So... With how it works with the insurance in terms of coverage, what is typically covered with health insurance, and when should we be signing up pets on on insurance? Does it make a difference if they if we do it when they're puppies or if when they are uh, middle aged, geriatric? I know that that cost can can differ a lot, uh, and coverage can differ a lot as well. Sure. Well, actually, all excellent questions. Um, we have learned that. Most people are very sensitive to their pet's needs when that animal is first introduced to the home. And there's quite a bit of market research that proves that. Not only do we have that market research, but the North American Pet Health Insurance Association has that as well. And that's something for veterinarians and those you know, who are your listeners um, to, to keep in mind is, is there's this, this old, um, I don't know if anybody's had an animal behavior class, but there's this fundamental principle of imprinting, you know, when, when the young duckling is following around its mom because there's this window of, um, is, of its early awareness where it, it bonds to the mom. Right. And, and I would say, and so you know imprinting, Seth, you remember that one? 
Um, yeah, well, after you've seen the movie Fly Away Home, this is totally nostalgic. Oh, okay. So, yes, yeah. the exact same principle. There you right. go. Yes, thank you for that. Um, I'll use that in my future. Because um, <laughs> uh, not not the average layperson doesn't always understand imprinting. Sure. But your audience are, are typically folks in our world, and so I figure they do know it. Um, and, and so there, there is that with pet owners. They go through a period when an animal is newly acquired in the home, and whether it's a, a new puppy or kitten, or whether it's an animal that they recently adopted from a shelter. And it doesn't matter whether they're novel pet owners or they're experienced, and this is, you know, they've had pets their whole life, and this is just, you know, another pet that they've introduced to their home. They go through a period of time, and it typically is really intense about the first three months, but can last as long as six months. And that is the window of opportunity for that veterinarian to really impress upon that new pet owner that yes, I'm a valued partner in the relationship in the healthcare management of right. your pet. And so, and that's true for the pet health insurance as well. And so we have learned, you know, things like letting them know about pet health insurance through the puppy kitten kit. Uh, when they come in for that first visit, or even call for that first visit, ask them, "Do you have the pet health insurance?" And that you know raises the level of awareness that there is a financial service out there that may be able to help them pay for these healthcare costs for the pet. So you know, getting in there early is really important for the behavior or psyche of the pet owner. Okay, so we'll start there. Secondarily, it is important as far as the mechanics of the way pet health insurance works, and that is. There is this concept in insurance called pre-existing conditions. Sure. And we hear about it in the human healthcare um, arena. Um, but to, I'll start with a super uh, a simple example first, and we'll move to human healthcare. So, say you're in veterinary school, which works well for your audience, right? Um, and uh, you get in a little bit of a fender bender with your car. You just you and a lamp post, nobody else. And you don't have the ability to pay for that deductible right now. You're, you know, a poor vet student. And you're just like, you know what, I'm going to leave the, 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 the damage to the front end of the car, and I'm just going to finish vet school. And then, say, you graduate, and you happen to change states, you know, to get your first job, and you apply for new auto insurance, and you get a brand new policy, and you say to the insurer, hey, I have this damage from my car that was there from vet school. Can you help me fix that? They're going to say, no, that damage was there prior to us ever insuring the vehicle. It's pre-existing to, you know, did not occur on our watch, if you will. Right. And so they won't cover it. Pet health insurance is similar in that respect. And as I said, it's like property insurance in the mechanics of it sometimes. And so that's an example of one of the ways is pre-existing conditions. If the animal is sick already and then someone comes in to insure the animal, we're gonna say, wait, wait, no, this animal already had all of this going on, we can't insure the animal. And a lot of it has to do with the economics of it. If everybody waited until their pet was sick before they went and got the insurance, then there wouldn't be enough money in the kitty, if you will, to cover anybody's claims because sure. everybody in the pool would, would have a sick animal. So the principle of, of pre-existing condition applies to almost all forms of insurance, where it gets really interesting, because I did sort of set it aside and I'll go back to it, is human health care insurance. And that's where you see so much debate going on in Washington, D.C. Typically, human health care insurance has covered pre-existing conditions when you're talking the law of large numbers. Right. So, which is why through an employer, and say you work for someone really big like Johnson & Johnson, 
Um, and they have 100,000 employees in the United States. And so they have these massive health care plans, you know, with Aetna or Blue Cross or Cigna or whomever. And, and so someone who is sick, who has a pre-existing condition, who becomes a new employee to a company or is a spouse of a new employee to the company is typically covered because they're getting lost in the 100,000 other people. And, um, and so the actuaries are able to sort of drown out, you know, someone who might be, you know, in their 60s who's a new employee and they have diabetes. Well, that's okay. We'll add them to the pool because we have a lot of 20-year-olds in the pool who are also really, who are, who are really healthy. Right. And that'll offset that. It's when you get outside of large group employer or association-based healthcare coverage, when you get the one-offs where someone applies because they're independent, they work from their living room at home, and um, they go to a healthcare provider and say, I just need a policy for me, myself, and my, my spouse, and someone between the two of them um, has a pre-existing condition, that's where it comes into play. Gotcha. And the insurance companies choose not to cover them. And so that's, that's what we hear a lot of argument about in Washington, D.C., is what about the people who are being left aside? And, and that gets into the value of human life, right? And that's why it becomes a political conversation. So back to pets, right? Our world is pets... Um, we have we as a society haven't placed the value of human life on pets the way we feel like you know every human should have access to health care right. we haven't as a society said every pet should have access to health care so right now pets are con- closer to the car in that respect than they right. are a human when it comes to their health care needs so it's it sort of gets into the medical ethical debates that are occurring in our country right now Gotcha. That's terrific information. That that's a great way to look at it. And I, I did not really think about it that way. Um, so another kind of history lesson question for you, and I do not know if this is really accurate or not, but I, I have heard that decades ago when when health and pet health insurance kind of got its its feet off the ground, is that it fell out of favor? I guess shortly thereafter. That is that is that correct? Yeah, in the early years, absolutely, yes. And, and um, you did some good research there. In the very early years when pet insurance was uh, in its nascent years, there was this, again, trying to figure out the dynamics of how we're going to make this economically viable. Right. And, and so because it is a health insurance product if, uh, or an insurance product, if you think about it, that is not mandatory. So things like our homeowner's insurance, Anybody who ever buys a home um, will will either know this or experience this, is your mortgage company is going to mandate you have a homeowner's insurance on that house. And the reason why is typically if there's, if there's a loan on it, they're at interest and they want right. to make sure that home, if it did have you know, a fire or significant damage, is insured because they've got uh, you know, monetary interest in the home. Uh, so typically it's mandated. Uh, auto insurance usually regulated by you know the the state, and they also required or mandated. You get to um, other things that aren't required by law, like human health insurance, but the financial loss or the financial downside is so significant. Most people realize, oh my goodness, I better have it um, because, in fact, I think the number one bankruptcy uh, source or reason for bankruptcy in the United States is healthcare bills. Hmm. for someone who fails to have health care insurance. Um, so it can wipe you out. It can devastate you. You get to something like pet health insurance and the, the dynamics change a little bit. 
And that's where I mean, finding ways to make it economically viable was a little tricky in the early years. And that is when it was first introduced to the marketplace, um, a lot of people were skeptical, right? Is this a real insurance product? Right. And, um, and then a lot of people, uh, those who bought it were the ones who um, had every intent of using it and using it, you know, because they, they knew that their pet either had a problem and they didn't understand that pre-existing conditions weren't covered. And that's always one of the, the, the biggest, you know, unfortunate miscommunications is people don't realize pet, you know, pre-existing conditions cannot be covered. Um, or they're a high util, you know, they go to the veterinarian all the time and, and they know they're going to use it. And so when your audience or your, your group of early policyholders or people who are heavy, heavy users, um, the, making the economics of it work were difficult. And so the early policies had a lot of restrictions and, um, and in order to, again, you know, keep it financially viable. What's happened since then is the industry has grown tremendously. Um, the number of companies that offer pet health insurance has, you know, exploded. I think there was mm -hmm. one or two, and now we're at, uh, you know, ten or eleven in the United States. And um, the awareness, the number of people who um, who know about it and who buy it, and as I said, they learn about it from their veterinarian, they learn about it from their friends and family, they learn about it at the dog park, they learn about it through their employer. It's starting to hit more of a mass market. Um, and as I described earlier, insurance is dependent upon the large pool, right? right? We need the law of large numbers to drown out the sicker animals. And so we're getting uh, you know, large enough where the economics of it aren't as dicey, if you will, and, um, and so the policies are uh, less restrictive. And so that's why it's effectively a new day in the, in the world of pet health insurance compared to um, what people have heard of in the past. Awesome. That, that's great to know. I, I was definitely wondering why, why it had, had lost its popularity and why it's gaining it back. So you answered that perfectly. Thank you. Um, so let's get down, let's kind of switch gears and talking about the effect of, of health, health insurance for pets on medicine and how we practice it. So I, I guess I have three questions for you and we can kind of lump it into one uh, broad topic. So the first question is really why is pet health insurance important for us as veterinarians and why and how does it help us practice better medicine? And then I guess on, on the, the, the flip side of that is, is because of that, why should we be encouraging our clients to get health insurance for their pets? Sure. Well, as I, as I stated before, the, the research shows that people will, you know, come in sooner in the um, etiology of the disease as the disease is, you know, progressing in a pet. Um, and that when they are in the, you know, in the exam room, they're more willing to say yes to your, your um, treatment recommendations. And so um, given, given that we've effectively changed their behavior, we're making a difference to the veterinarian and that veterinary practice and uh, their ability to, number one, practice better quality medicine because they can typically offer their treatment plan A, meaning what they really want to do with this pet, and someone who has insurance on the pet is more likely to say yes to treatment plan A versus someone who's not insured may hem and haw a little bit, and then now the veterinarian is busy saying, well, okay, we could probably do this, but maybe we could get away with not doing as extensive on the, you know, on the blood work or what right. have you. So we do know it, it uh, enables 
uh, better medicine. Um, not only that, but it also enables a better emergency care. We see um, a number of people who have pet health insurance with us, um, their access is better. So they're not as concerned at two in the morning about taking that pet down to the emergency hospital. As I said, it lowers the barrier to entry, and that's not only at the primary care veterinarian during you know daylight hours, but also the emergency hospitals. And right. so we actually have numbers that show that the utilization of emergency uh, and specialty, as we're all going next, services is, is higher amongst folks who are insured. And so um, a perfect example of, I was interviewing a woman who is a veterinary technician, and I was asking her, you know, what percentage of uh, pets that come through the door at your, your specialty hospital. It was a multi-specialty hospital here in Southern California. Mm -hmm. um, and she said, oh, easily um, a third to about 40% of the people who walk through the door have uh, pet health insurance on their wow. pet at the specialty level. Wow. So I think that alone shows pretty dramatically the change in consumers' behavior and their ability to select quality medicine for their pet when financing uh, the pet's health care is, is less of an issue. So, so there's that. And then the other tidbit I'm gonna throw out there is it's, I've been doing this long enough, um, meaning being a member and a passionate member of our veterinary community, um, not just pet health insurance, but, but really watching the macro trends of um, the companion animal side of veterinary medicine and things are changing and things are changing pretty dramatically in that um, how people are choosing to consume veterinary services and it mm -hmm. used to be you know back when I was a, a veterinary technician and I'm going to age myself but in the 1970s um, and as I said I was an undergrad in the 1980s um, the you know veterinarians were the predominant if only source of, of pet care um, information. And, and yes, there were pet stores, pet shops out there, but they were usually small and independent and strip malls or what have you. And this is even before the world of Petco and PetSmart existed, right. big, the big box, right, retailers of pet um, products. And so it, it changed pretty dramatically when those guys you know, started to come into the marketplace in the um, late 80s, early 90s, because now you had a centralized source of all things pet, right? And, um, and then the internet, right? The internet exploded also through the 90s, and now you have what we all affectionately call Dr. Google. Sure. And, and that's a source of information. Um, and then uh, the, the world of shelters and low-cost veterinary providers. And, and in no way are my comments right now to, to say in a disparaging way. I, they're absolutely an important, critical role in delivery of healthcare to pets. There are socioeconomic you know, uh, groups in our communities that need access to lower-cost veterinary services. So once you add all this up, and then I'll throw out one or two more, um, veterinarians who were choosing to operate independently through health, you know, house call type of practices. Right. And so this has just really exploded. So if you look at the way people get their, their pet care advice today versus how they got their pet care advice 30 years ago, it's dramatically different. And it's mostly dramatically different because they have a lot of alternatives in the marketplace. Right. right. 
and you know they have the big box retail you know advisor they have the doctor google online they have the house call veterinarian um, they have the low cost um, you know shelter veterinary clinic and and not all of this is downstream uh, some of this is upstream of us the explosion of inequality uh, the explosion of emergency care the explosion of specialty medicine right right concurrent to all of this the number of specialty practitioners has you know probably loved you know by what uh, one order of magnitude increased, you know, compared to the 1970s. And so, so all, at all levels of medicine, there are now substitutes or alternatives in the marketplace compared to the primary care veterinarian. That primary care veterinarian uh, is competing with a lot more than just the other primary care veterinarian down Main Street. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, so we as a profession and those of us who want primary care veterinary medicine to continue to be an important component of health healthcare, need to start thinking about how do we compete, not just with the guy down the street, but with this whole milieu of, of other things in the marketplace and enabling people to be able to pay for our services is a big component of that. And, and, and that's why things like care credit are really important. I think care credit quite frankly, saves lives, right? Sure. The ability to figure out how to finance the health care of a pet. Um, there, are, there are other, you know, type of competitors in the marketplace that are entering that health care credit card space. Um, you know, things like the pet health insurance where people think about it in advance and get a, a policy or a product that helps leverage third-party participation of a financial company to help them pay for those health care services for the pet. Um, the other is you're starting to see more preventive um, care plans, the, the wellness plans, right. w where people can participate with their veterinarian directly and say, okay, yes, I'm very interested in keeping my pet healthy, and I will pay you X amount per month as a streaming source of revenue to the vet practice, but it's basically paying for that large $300 healthcare visit, which is the wellness exam you know, that, that the dog needs or the cat needs every spring. So there, there are more financial alternatives in the marketplace, and, um, and you're actually seeing some veterinarians start to look into doing micro-lending, meaning hmm. the old-fashioned, hey, doc, I can't afford this today. Can I, instead of paying you, you know, $3,000 for this cruciate surgery today, can I make payments? And for a lot of years, we said no to that. But again, dynamics of the marketplace, competition at all levels, we're starting to look at what are other ways to finance pet health care. And some veterinarians are actually starting to look at that for the first time in, a, in several decades. And so, right. again, the dynamics are changing. And so if we want to con continue to compete and continue to be relevant in the, in the pet care space, we need to find ways to help people afford our services. And this is all in the backdrop of healthcare costs are going up. We already talked about that. So right. it, it, is, it is a way of continuing to be able to practice quality medicine. Terrific. That's that's great. That's a great way to look at it. Uh, and then to follow up on that, and my I guess my closing question for you is, is for us as veterinary students and new graduates, what can we be doing right now to familiarize ourselves with these different products and other like you said there are almost a dozen companies out there that are offering pet health insurance um, what can we do to to learn more about those familiarize ourselves with those 
And then I guess more importantly, incorporate that knowledge and, and, and that offering to our clients. How can we incorporate that into our practice? Sure. Well, as we were um, talking about earlier, I, I love millennials and you guys, you guys do your research and, and you dig down and uh, read about something online and make sure you, you fully understand it. Almost, almost to the level of stalking. It's, it's really quite <laughs> fun. Um, yep. And, and so I would, I would recommend do your research. It, you know, when, when uh, a pet health insurance company offers education, you know, on, on campus, whether that's through the VVMA or, or through a, a business management class, you know, on campus, um, you know, take those opportunities, you know, go to the, that lunch lecture, go and participate in that practice management class, you know, even though it may be an elective or what have you. I highly, highly recommend keeping one's head up and looking at other things that are going to impact your ability to practice quality medicine. Yes, the medicine and surgery classes are really, really important. And I, I was a nerd, right? I was right up there in the front middle seat, you know. Right. But at the same time, I was also very much aware of, hey, I need to understand all the other softer skills that are going to affect my ability to practice quality medicine as well. So that would be the number one thing I would say to a veterinary student is, is the books are important, absolutely, but pay attention to the other stuff too. And then when right. it comes to the insurance, do your research. Um, and the, the rule of thumb that is actually coming out of the North American Pet Health Insurance Associations, their formal recommendation after all this research that they've done uh, last year is to tell veterinary practices, um, and you guys as you know, the next generation of veterinary medicine, um, to, to look at the pet healthcare companies and, and study the variables and come up with one or two that you, that you like, that have features that you feel are, you know, make sense to you. Um, things like perhaps you want to make sure that the animal um, comes in on a regular basis so there's only a deductible once a year on that pet health insurance mm -hmm. policy versus a deductible imposed every single time the pet comes in. Because obviously that now is going to get in the way of someone bringing the pet in if there's a deductible every time, right? Right. So things like that. Look at the features of the policies. Um, the the culture, the reputation of the company, the financial strength and wherewithal of the company, um, and then choose one or two, and then go deep with those one or two and really understand them. And then what we're also finding is because veterinarians who are recent grads um, tend to do their homework and tend to, to go a little bit deeper, uh, that they then become the source of knowledge as they graduate and go out there and in practice. And so you will see older veterinarians who um, know that they should be understanding a little bit more in this space of financial services, um, but haven't taken the time to learn it, that is a way of leveraging yourself out of veterinary practice as a new grad. Like, hey, yes, I have taken the time to look at what are their financial alter alternatives for the clients who come here. And, and as I said before, pet health insurance is one modality. Pet health care credit cards, like care credit is another. Um, preventive care plans, you know, that kind of stuff. And by researching that, knowing it, understanding it, you actually position yourself as a valuable new employee. That's, that, that's great advice. And yeah, I, I was going to just second that too, because obviously with, with how much we need to be learning in vet school, 
there is not a lot of time that 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 our our teachers can give to to like you said teaching teaching us about the soft skills and like communication and business management uh, and health insurance and all these things are super important and I, and I really strongly believe that that with with pet health care and health insurance that is going to become very much uh, a commonplace thing that that clients are going to be having for for their animals so the earlier that we can familiarize ourselves with those products and and like you said add that as a skill under our belt so that when we get out into practice we can be a really knowledgeable uh person in in the in the hospital the clinic wherever you're going to be uh because like i said i i, I think this is really going to be something that's going to be very commonplace and is going to take our medicine to the next level so 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 yeah and, and I do I do believe that there's an increased awareness um, in your generation. Number one, I think millennials are more culturally aware. Um, but number two, I think you in this in the world of uh, financing veterinary services, you guys are more aware because you're carrying more student loan debt as well. Um, realize the generations that preceded you. Um, we, you know, we graduated from veterinary school and that, you know, would be four years of undergrad plus four years of veterinary school with comparatively very little debt. You know, I think the average debt when I graduated was, you know, ten, twenty thousand $20,000. Right. So, um, and, and so people didn't have to think about the financial side of things as much because making payments on ten dollars or $20,000 is a new grad. It's like, you know, right up there with the utility bill. It's no big deal, Right. right. You guys are in a very, very different position financially, right as you're coming right off the springboard of, of veterinary school. And, and so I think understanding the world of how money moves, the economics of the profession um, and the economics of, of you know, daily practice and how to enable or leverage financial services to enable your clients to pay for the quality of medicine that you want to deliver. I think these are things that you guys are, are almost being forced to pay more attention to than previous generations. Right. That is a great place to end it. I That, that was awesome. Um, so thank you again so much, Dr. McConnell. This has been great information and definitely, uh, in my opinion, a topic we don't talk about enough of in veterinary school. So hopefully to everyone that's listening, um, this has added just a bit of knowledge and probably quite a bit of knowledge in terms of what you've already known about pet health insurance and how it can make an impact. So, so thank you again for your time and your, for your advice and knowledge and insight. Uh, it's been terrific. Well, thank you very much for taking an interest in this and it's delightful to chat with you, Seth. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. One more huge thank you to Dr. Carol McConnell for sharing some really, really great information about pet health insurance with us today. Please get on Facebook and find Dr. McConnell. Her handle is at Nationwide DVM. You can also find more information about her and Nationwide's pet health insurance at www.nationwidedvm.com. And lastly, thank you so much for listening to the Vet School Unleashed podcast. For resources and more information about the podcast, please be sure to check us out at www.vetschoolunleashed.com. You can find me on Instagram at Seth the Almost Vet and on Facebook. 
Also, feel free to connect with me via email at seth at vetschoolunleashed.com. I would love to hear your thoughts on today's podcast and love to hear any suggestions or topics you'd want to hear us talk about. Even reach out if you want to be on the podcast yourself and share some insight of your own. And of course, if you feel so inclined, please feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we will talk to you next time on Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM. Dissecting the DVM.